Yes, I am appreciating all of you as we head toward the new year. Great weather. And you're always welcome to be a part of the conversation. If you're chilling, relaxing, or working, or just getting through your day, you've got a little bit of time left if you're at the office today. Or working from your home, which seems to be the new transition for many folks. The, the new economy is you work from your home. You just work from home. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not putting it down, just saying the economy's fundamentally changed. I think it'll change again. If anything, we should learn from the past two or three years is that we as a society evolve, sometimes quickly, sometimes painfully, but we evolve. We we move for things change. I mean, the, the way cell phones changed our lives. You look at any sitcoms from the 90s and you're you're keenly aware of, of how things have changed dramatically just in that short period. Even in the past, you look at a sitcom from 10, 15 years ago, it's changed dramatically. Look at casting, look at the ideas presented, changed dramatically. We're changing rapidly right now. And, and I don't think the political left can keep up with itself it's so far over the tips of its skis that's toppling over like that great for those of you who remember TV from the 70s. Remember that agony of defeat uh, clip from ABC News, Wild World of Sports, where the guy just wipes out in the skis and flips over a building and everything. That's what we're seeing. The left is tripping over itself. It, it gets lost in its own arguments now. It, it wants to make – so in, in, in that reality, they have to find a crisis to direct you away from what they're trying to do because it makes little sense even to them. I mean, they're trying, they're desperately trying everything they can to make this Elon Musk story go away. They're doing a lot. They're doing a lot for you not to look more closely at climate policies because they don't make any sense. And they still, you know, you ask them, say, what is it you want? You want to control the climate? Show me the period of time where the climate was stable for 100, 200, 500 years. It's not. It, it's, it's, it's a series of ups and downs and, and events that unfold due to a variety of factors that we we still to this day don't 100% fully understand. If we did, hurricane models would be accurate all the time. They're not. Your five-day forecast isn't accurate all the time. It's just not. But somehow globally, we know everything that's going on on every aspect. So what's happening across the world? This is from NPR. NPR, another group that said that the Hunter Biden story was false. NPR, uh, an organization who is absolutely compromised from an ethics standpoint, it's absolutely compromised from a fact standpoint. It went on record with their staff saying that the Hunter Biden story was false. They were wrong. But here's their latest. And I know it pains them to write this story because it's illustrative of the fact that all the things that they've been pushing for, when confronted with the reality of those policies, there's inevitably a pushback. So back, and I'm going to the green energy thing, but just a little bit, just to show that when the people, and you would think, you know, we were always presented with the fact that Europeans are so, the Paris Accords, the Paris Accords, the defining thing about green energies, the, the French and the Germans are also uh, far ahead of us. Well, the Germans are having a hell of a time because the practical reality of shutting down nuclear facilities and thinking they're going to go green energy, the reality of that when a cold, hard, brutal winter hits is hitting them right in the face. And the citizens, they ain't happy about it. A bunch of angry Germans. So here's the reality of that story. In Berlin, it's rush hour on a cold, snowy morning in Berlin. Commuter traffic has come to a standstill as a highway exit on the western edge of the city. A dozen climate activists sit down on a pedestrian crossing in front of four lanes of cars. Now, the funny thing about all these climate change activists doing this, they're throwing stuff on paintings. They're very, they're, they're terrorists. They really are. They're destroying art. They're trying to disrupt. And when cars are sitting still in traffic, they actually pollute more, not less. So the climate activists, this is how immature, and it's a cult. This is the way a cult would act. They'll go sit down in traffic. 
They don't care about the consequences of their actions because they think they're on a holy mission to save the planet. The activists belong to a group called Let's Sit Generation or Last Generation. Like many scientists, and this is NPR, like many scientists, they'll argue that it's too late for future generations. By the way, there are a lot of scientists that don't think it's too late. They don't think the world is ending. Many scientists don't believe it's ending. Like many scientists, this is NPR's editorializing in their stories. Lena Johnson, Johnson, a member of the group, looks cold as she finishes sticking her chapped, ungloved hands to the icy tarback using industrial strength superglue. We're here today because we just can't look and see what the government is doing right now. They're not taking overdue measures to protect future generation lives. Again, this is the kind of cult mentality. It's like trying to talk to someone. It's, it's like talking to you know the folks in Guyana. They just have it in their mind that this is the only way. They're Heaven's Gate people. Germany, Europe's largest economy, is racing to replace Russian natural gas after Moscow cut off a key pipeline over the summer. At odds with the government's climate protection promises, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz's governing coalition is investing more in fossil fuels, not less. It's firing up old coal power plants and investing in an entirely new liquefied natural gas infrastructure to fill the void left by the now-defunct Nordstrom One gas pipeline. In other words, they're trying to heat their, their homes. They're trying to keep people from freezing to death. They're doing what they can, but they, do, do the climate cultists care? They don't. So if thousands of Germans die due to exposure, if, if homeless people die, if the poor die and suffer, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. That's their attitude. The German government is doing what they can to try to head off a disaster. In fact, the problem was solved when they had their own nuclear plants. The pro so when the German government intervened and started doing all these green policies to, as, a, as a hat tip to the nut jobs that are out there blocking traffic, the reality of that didn't work. So now they're going back. They're trying to go back to say, we need we need to help heat people's home. As a result, climate activists like Johnson are carrying out increasingly disruptive protests on a daily basis. Some days it's a major city thoroughfare. Sometimes it's at the airport. Sitting with others who glued themselves to the road at a recent protest, Johnson is blinded by the headlights of the vehicles the activists are holding up. Some of the drivers rev their engines. Others get out of their cars and shout in anger. She admits she's intimidated, but it pales in comparison with the bigger picture. I'm more scared of how people will react when we fight for food or drinking water in a few decades. I want to circumvent this future. She's wrong. It, think about how ludicrous that statement is. What if you could grow crops in Greenland, which, by the way, used to grow things because it was green, hence green land. Or if you could grow crops in Canada. I'm not saying we should become that, but we could. If it did come warmer, you you all of a sudden make a lot more land available to grow food. So there's not going to be food shortages. That's asinine. That's the ignorance of these, these, these cultists. Right now, she's okay with people freezing to death. She's okay with people dying right now, thinking they're going to be starving in the future anyway and not be able to get water. That's absurd. It makes the giant leap of assumption that we will not adapt to anything that happens. If nothing else over the past several hundred thousand years, humans have adapted mightily to changing situations. They evolve. They adapt. The climate change cult believes we wouldn't, and we can't. Now, here's the even funnier part. We have more bottled water than we've had any time in human history ever per capita in any way. The absurdity of thinking we're not going to have water and that people aren't going to figure out how to, how to get it. One driver, 48-year-old Jenny Proler, says she's also anxious about the planet's future, but this isn't the place to do it. <laughs> I have nothing against the protest, but this is ridiculous. The gall of these people. I'm trying to get my daughter to an exam. She's a law student sitting in the bar this morning. Another activist, Theodore Schnarr, says he knows he's unpopular. 
According to Der Spiegel magazine, 86% of Germans disapprove of protesters doing this. But 53% agree that government's not doing enough to tackle climate change. So 86% of Germans overwhelmingly, no, don't do it this way. 53% think the government's not doing enough. However, if you were to take away all of their heating, that 53% would become about 10. Schnarr has been arrested and locked up twice for stopping traffic. As a biochemist, he says he's too aware of the science and warmings of climate change. By the way, a biochemist isn't a weather expert, nor a climatological expert. It's just ridiculous. Burning fossil fuels is speeding up climate change. That's already causing cat- catastrophic consequences of the world, and scientists warn it will worsen as nations fail to make dramatic cuts. That's an editorial comment that's put in the NPR story as a fact. And it's not necessarily a fact. Consensus is not a fact. And there's a number of stories, like the Barrier Reef recovering mightily over the past year. There's a number of stories that are, that are showing it's not happening the way they predicted it would. Remember, every, every time you see these predictions, it's 10 years. In the 80s, it was 10 years. In the 90s, it was 10 years. In the 2000s, 2010s, 2020s, it's always 10 years. <sighs> this fall, Schultz, the Social Democrat chancellor who formed a government with two other parties, announced an extra 200 billion euros to help cover skyrocketing energy prices in the coming season. This money is paying for the fossil fuels replacing Russian natural gas. 46% of the country's electricity has come from renewable sources this year, according to Germany. They're confident they can double that in the next seven years. Meanwhile, they've destroyed all their cropland. Speaking of reasons you can't grow food is when you destroy your croplands to produce alternative energy with it. So, yeah, you did enough of that. And if you see, if you see the China solar farms, it covered tens of thousands of acres. Just devastate everything wildlife. But this is the kind of absurdity that we've grown to know and love from the left. Now, we've got much more to go. You can get on the conversation, 704-570-1110. <laughs> Listeners, enthusiasts, critics, we love you all. And Dean, if you're listening, give us a call back. We had to go to the break, but I want to put your call at the front. Callers always love you guys. Love to hear your perspective. Agree or disagree, but you guys always make the show richer. Callers make every radio talk show richer because it it it's it's it proves to me time and again the actual opposite of what critics have said. You know, they try to say that anyone who listens to talk radio is a low information voter. I find that just the opposite is to be true. They tend to be more informed than your average bear. They tend to to look a little deeper and and, and they, they they are engaged in this stuff. They they also want to make the country better and stronger and in a conservative way. Most of them and even the critics, we've had we have liberal critics that are listening out there. They call in, they disagree with the host. We had one yesterday. They're welcome. They're gonna be treated with respect, they're gonna be treated with dignity. That's the way we're not here to to, to attack individuals, we're here to talk about the issues. And so even this stuff with these loony climate activists, I don't want any harm to come to them. I want them to come to their senses. I mean, I was reading toward the end, they're under investigation now for preventing ambulances from getting to victims that may have died. In other words, them stopping this stuff may have led directly to people dying. When they tie up the streets and an ambulance can't get to a, a fatality or, or a, a dangerous wreck, people lives are in danger. Then they ask them about it. We don't want to endanger people. We don't want to endanger ourselves. It's the very opposite of what our gut. They believe in their, in, their, in their world that the government is destroying the planet. And there's enough of them out there that believe that, 
that are not necessarily supported on facts. They really believe the earth is near the end and that, that everything, and this is going to become worse because we've been told every year of their life that we're 10 years away. And so the entire of their life is that the world is ending if they don't do something. The Greta Thunbergs of the world. So these outrageous behaviors are going to get worse, not better. As they, if they perceive that things aren't moving fast enough, and these are the same people that use cell phones, that use energy, that will plug their cell phones into the wall and expect it to be recharged in an affordable, reliable way. They are the ones that will plug their electric vehicle into the wall and expect it to be charged and ready to drive in an affordable, reliable way. They never connect that not having affordable, reliable energy disconnects them from their reality. They don't connect those two things. On the highway, this is the funny. So you're a cop in Germany, and you're looking at these activists that are out there. And, and you see them, like, gluing themselves to the road. And so what they do is they have a brush dipped in cooking oil. That dissolves the glue. They pick them up, and they arrest them. They hand them bandages for their injured uh, skin, and they lead them off. They get arrested. And you know what? They go to a heated jail cell. They get heat. They get meals. They get food. So that's what's going on there. Just it's 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 worth it's just worth looking at and being aware of. Now, I want to get to some others because you know this is weird because I'm bringing you like stuff about and it's an ongoing cultural war that we're in. A lot of these cultural wars are being won, meaning that 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 respect uh, don't bring don't sexualize our kids. Uh, you know we want cheap affordable power. We want a strong society. We want a border. We're winning on a lot of these things. It's just that the left is far more vocal, and we've demonstrated through the course of this show and other shows that the left has an over oversized control of the media narratives out there. That the FBI, if they don't like or disagree with something, can go to the companies and have been doing so on a regular basis to say, hey, don't we don't want you to run these stories. We consider those misinformation. And then the companies go, oh, oh okay. Well, um, sure. If you say it's misinformation, we believe you. So we're going to suppress that story. And now that we know it's factual, I think they're so embarrassed that they followed the lead of a tyrannical FBI that they don't want to correct their error. CNN hasn't corrected it. MSNBC's not. They're not correcting it. I think they're really humiliated and embarrassed by what they did. So let's go to another story. The Northern Virginia School Board stuff. And you've got, look, the, the Mecklenburg, so the Mech, Char, Char Mecklenburg School Board is no stranger to controversy and cost overruns and, and uh, social engineering and and CRT and everything else that's been thrown out there. I think one of the hosts on this very station is, is called kind of like the Real Housewives reality series. Virginia Parent, out, so this is a story that no one else is really running. Fox News is running. I've seen the story to other sources. But by and large, the large ABC, NBC, CBS, they're not. And it's kind of dovetailing. Let's, I tell you what, we're going to have to take a break here in a second. It's dovetailing with the stories about Trophy Award. We heard this participation award stuff for years Virginia parents are outraged after a top-ranked high school allegedly delayed notifying students of national academic honors in the name of equity, making them unable to account for the recognition in some college applications. Fairfax County parent Azra Namaji joined Fox & Friends Wednesday to discuss why the school delayed the awards and the importance of meritocracy in the classroom. The entire controversy just blew up, quote, because the kids got their certificate weeks after early college application deadlines, just dropped on their desk as if it was just another piece of paper. And this amazing mom named Shawa Yashar started asking questions, just like every parent would. 
And from issues of the drag queen story, hours to indoctrination in the schools, this is another form of this race to the bottom that schools are going through right now. The School of Science and Tech allegedly delayed academic awards for years because of its ploy to advocate equal outcomes for every student without exception. The entire participation trophy reality that's going on there. The school has even implemented a policy awarding students a 50% just for showing up to class, and teachers have eliminated zeros. So if you showed up to class and didn't even fill out a single question on the test and turned it in, you got a 50. Everybody's a winner. The delayed awards in question are given to National Merit Scholarship Corporation, which recognizes top-performing high school students nationwide. They received their honors in October, but didn't distribute them to students until a month later after early application deadlines had passed. So the school wanted to recognize students as individuals, not for their achievements. How do you have a successful country? How do you have a successful world? How do you become innovative if nobody is recognized for being innovative? Now. We're at the bottom of the hour. Much more to go here. WBT, Chad Adams, your guest host. We're going to take that break. We'll be back for the final two segments today on this beautiful, beautiful Wednesday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. So at the beginning of the show, it's getting ready to get loud with this song. Good song. At the beginning of the show, I referred to Twitter CEO, Twitter CEO Elon Musk, and we kind of started there. We're going to go to the end of that. We're not going to talk about Elon, but it, it, he. I just want to remind you that he he tweeted the following, and 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 I love how it drives people bonkers. Again, whether I agree with him or not, there have been times I've disagreed with him, but that's that's life. You, hey, if you're in a relationship and you don't disagree with your spouse on a regular basis, you really have something going on that's not healthy. But the legacy media should worry about its reputation. We have only just begun, said someone. So uh, CNN's Squawk Box, where Axios business reporter Hope King argued his reputation with Twitter is damaging his stocks, and success in his other companies, particularly Tesla, the electric company's stock shares have dropped profoundly since October 27th. Um, Musk replied to him and said, the legacy media should worry about its reputation. We've only just begun. In other words, that's not his big concern. He, I think he feels very comfortable about the trajectory his company is on, but he's telling the legacy media, hey, you guys should really be more worried because there's a lot more coming. So that's got a lot of people kind of flipped out. What, what does he mean by that? He's being cryptic. This is Elon Musk. I want to know what's going to happen next. If there comes a point where the media can't ignore it. We're on the seventh drop of the Twitter files. They're desperately trying not to address this thing. All this is old news, but it's becoming more and more not old news. So we'll see how it goes there. And Dean, if you are out there, I appreciate you listening. And if you want to call back in, we'll put you right in. So just want to let you know that I appreciate you uh, calling in earlier, right before we went to break. So we want to do that now. A couple of interesting things um, is that we went to the Virginia story, and and that's indicative, again, from which group of individuals does not recognizing success emanate? In other words, it, it's funny. they don't the, the left doesn't particularly like success unless it's in some kind of trans, anti-women, uh, virtue signal way of doing things. They will rush 
headfirst into a story like Jesse Smollett's without analyzing it before running with it when he claimed he was attacked by Trump supporters and there was a, a, a alleged lynching that was going to take place and it was completely fabricated. But they ran right to that story like moths to a flame, but didn't run like moths to the flame to try to correct it. They eventually did, but begrudgingly so, when it was unbelievably proven that Jesse Smollett just lied. So you have to wonder, why are they not interested in truth? And, and, and I think Dean's question I'll try to address a little bit is, you know, how do you, if you can't trust the media, how, what do you do? Well, you find, so this is where a, a responsible public does have an obligation. Challenge yourself. Look at different media. I mean, online you have many different. I'm not saying you should go and just follow one, but comparing and contrasting different media ways of covering things is a good way to arrive at interesting conclusions in the way and you and you learn to spot bias there's a lot of good reporting out there i used to be a big fan of the atlantic not be they had an absolute leftist spin but they were they were some really solid writers there still are some solid writers but they've gone so they're so hell-bent on going so far left it's difficult to take them seriously now and you as long as you know where your philosophical constructs are you know how to look at your own confirmation bias and go, okay, I'm reading a story that's confirming my bias. Is it reporting to me facts about the given story, or is it is it giving me my bias back, or is it giving me a bias that's predisposed? Like the NPR piece, it was clear there was a very biased piece that the world is going to end due to climate change. You know it. You know how to spot it. It's biased. You have to be a discerning You have to be a discerning reader of news. I, one of the things I would recommend people do is go to your uh, aggregator sites. You know, for a long time, Drudge was a great aggregator site before it went off the deep end. I don't know what happened to Matt Drudge, but he had a really good site with a lot of interesting information. Left, right, center, it had a particular right-leaning bias, and then it became kind of a centrist bias, and then it just lost all favorability. Now, I had created a site in North Carolina called the Carolina Plothound. Carolina Plothound at the time was was a Drudge-like site where we created, we had 15, 20,000 folks a day looking at that. That we were trying to put there, it had a, it had a conservative bias, but we were we were running stories that we would find in different news sources. From the same story that would be behind a paywall with the News and Observer would be not with the with a Lincoln County paper or Moxville Davy or Greensboro. Same story because it was an AP story, and we could link those stories and illustrate to people they could find go to a place and read them. There are some really good aggregator sites out there, all in the real clear world. And I say real clear, and it's not its not some kind of Scientology term. It is a, a phrase referring to aggregators. There's real clear science, real clear markets, real clear politics, real clear health, energy, history, religion, all sorts of different areas. And I think they do a better than average job of putting together opinion pieces and, sci- and, and breakthrough stories from a variety of viewpoints. You may see one. You may see the same story presented by a left-leaning and a right-leaning site. You read them both, and you kind of get the gist of what's going on. So it's important to understand how you feel about any given issue and, and and then do some homework. I mean, the climate change stuff is really challenging. I've been reading this stuff for – I was a much larger advocate for it back in the late 80s when it was about you know global warming and stuff. But then I saw a lot of the predictions were exaggerated. I saw the modeling was flawed. I saw that it was uh, way out of context and that it became more of a religion than it did about a factual inquiry. And I found that a lot of the research that was being done, there were great climate folks out there like uh, Richard Lindzen, uh, Roy Spencer down at the University of Alabama, Richard Lindzen from MIT, Pat Michaels from Virginia. Uh, there were many, there was many that were doing stellar work, but because their, their, their conclusions didn't reach the same conclusions desired by 
the IPCC, the Interpanel Climate Change folks in, in, in the UN and others, their research was severely hampered. So in other words, if you're doing research and it didn't agree with a given narrative, then your funding gets cut. It's very dark ages, medieval stuff. What you should be interested in scientific inquiry is where do the facts take you? And if they don't take you in a given narrative, then you need to test that narrative over and over again. But alas, I digress. You know, I, you have to wonder the political left doesn't want to reward success or innovation. You saw that with the awards we just went through in the previous story. But then you have a company like Southwest Airlines and others that have had great success. And the minute something goes wrong, the first thing those same people that don't want to recognize success want to punish the company. Their, their, instant, their instant reaction is not, let's fix the problem. It's let's go after they must have done something wrong. We need to punish them. We need to hold congressional hearings. We need to go after them which doesn't solve the problem. It's just an opportunity to gain political favor with some group out there to make it look like you're doing something rather than actually doing something. So a couple things to get to uh, before we get to the end uh, is, and this is a good one. If I were to ask you what's happened to human life expectancy here in the U.S., would you be surprised if it went down? I don't think you would be surprised that it went down. But let's go through this. This is from Betsy McCoy, McCoy at uh, New York Post. It's one thing when government raises your taxes, suffocates your business with regulations, or censors your tweets. It's far worse when government is to blame for actually shortening your life. U.S. life expectancy dropped to 76.4 years, the lowest in a quarter century, according to new federal data. Americans should be gasping. What could be more important than having the chance to live a long life? The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention repeatedly has blown its response to mega health killers like fentanyl, COVID, and lung cancer, all the while life expectancy gets shorter and shorter. Americans had one of the best life expectancies in the world in 1980. Since then, the U.S. has lost ground. People with several years longer, they live several years longer in France. They live longer in Switzerland. They live longer in Italy and other highly developed countries, reaching age 83 or 84 on average. Residents of the Czech Republic, Chile, and Slovenia can also expect to live longer lives than Americans. Even before COVID, the U.S. ranked 29th in life expectancy. Per the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the virus merely widened an already alarming gap between America and other nations. Now, before I go on, are you really surprised? So forget COVID for a minute. We've been dropping for years in this category. Is the U.S. government concerned about it? Has the CDC and others been, have you seen hearings on all this stuff? Now, who do you blame? Because you have to blame, we're responsible for this. We, ourselves, the way we eat, the way we don't move, the way we watch things. But let's keep on going with the story. Now life expectancy in these other countries is rebounding from COVID while American lives continue to be cut short. What? You got to be kidding me, right? We're going to continue with this. The great way to finish up the day. I think I'm going to go through the most hated names survey. <laughs> Baby name expert divides parents with 10 of the most hated names for girls and boys and gives savage reasons for them. Might be fun for tomorrow. Not today. We're going to continue talking about life expectancies as the U.S. continues to, you know, we, on the one hand, we have. We have this this wonderful nation that can overcome great obstacles. And a lot of times the worst things are the things we do to ourselves and the way we don't take care of ourselves. And it's it's kind of taking a toll on us. I mean, but but you would think that rather than get all torqued about Southwest Airlines, they'd be concerned about Americans living shorter and shorter lifespans. 
So let's look at these life expectancies. Now with life expectancies in these other countries rebounding from COVID, American lives continue to be cut short due to other causes. Let's talk about the failure of government, especially the CDC. This is from the New York Post, by the way. You can see it on my Twitter feed at Chad underscore Adams. Uh, Start with the failure of government, especially the CDC, to tackle the leading cause of death among Americans between 18 and 49, which is overdosing. Two-thirds of these deaths are from fentanyl. Nearly 107,000 Americans died of overdoses in 2021, 50% more than just two years earlier. So when you look at those, the majority of that's coming across our southern border. And Democrats are absolutely... They they could care they seem to could care less that that's a significant cause of death. It's it's significant enough that it's affecting our overall life expectancy. Where's the campaign to combat fentanyl deaths? Over the last half century, U.S. health agencies waged several stunningly successful media offensive to dissuade Americans from smoking cigarettes. The CDC has done nothing, nothing to stop fentanyl. Nothing. Blame the agency's mission confusion in September 21, as overdoses were soaring to ever new heights and COVID raged, the CDC launched a campaign for inclusive communication. The agency instructed healthcare workers to avoid stigmatizing words like illegal immigrant and substitute parent for gender-tainted terms like mother and father. That's more important than fentanyl deaths. Stay away from mother and father. As if political correctness is more important than preventing deaths, the CDC's failed response to COVID further depressed American life expectancy. According to Rochelle Walensky, to be frank, quote, we are responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes from testing to data to communications. The U.S. has done has had a higher per capita death rate from COVID than other developed countries, including the U.K., France, Spain and Canada. As COVID fades, the CDC's inaction on another front, lung cancer screening, is limiting progress on life expectancy for cancer patients in which America is otherwise a leader. Lung cancer is the number one cancer killer, taking 130,000 folks a year. That's more than breast cancer, prostate, and colon cancers combined. Because lung cancer is rarely diagnosed before it spreads, the chances of survival are an abysmal 18%. But when lung cancer is diagnosed early with a scan, the patient has an 80% chance of living another 20 years. That sure beats 18%, doesn't it? The scan takes 15 minutes lying flat on a table that glides in and out of the scanning machine. There's no squeezing. It's not like a mammogram. There's no prepping like a colonoscopy. The technology widely available, recommended by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and covered by insurance, but few doctors know to order it and few patients know to ask. Fault the CDC for this knowledge. Only 15% of Americans who need lung cancer screening get it. Getting all Americans who are eligible for screen for cancers would likely enable the country to cut cancer deaths by half. You get that? Half. President Joe Biden's moonshot goal without a single new scientific breakthrough. So let that sink in. If we could get more Americans screened for cancers, we could likely cut the cancer deaths by nearly 50%, which is the moonshot goal for the Biden administration without a single new scientific breakthrough. That's astounding. Last week, the White House announced a pilot project to screen and treat cancer. Oh, sorry. That's not for the United States. That's for the women in Botswana. Yes, the White House announced a new pilot project to screen and treat cancer for Botswana. Is that what Biden had in mind when he said curing cancer is one of the reasons I ran for president? Pretty tragic. Americans were told a decade ago the biggest health challenge was the uninsured. Congress passed Obamacare. Now only 8% of Americans are uninsured, but the whole nation faces the prospect of shorter life expectancy. For those lost years, you can thank federal health officials, especially the dysfunctional CDC. Call it the Centers for Decline and Confusion. Now, I want you to think about that. So 
We now have 8% of Americans. Remember, it was the, the uninsured that were the problem. We now have only 8% of Americans are uninsured, but we're dying sooner. So 12 years later, 12 years after Obamacare, we're dying sooner, less aware of what we need to get done. Doctors are less aware. We're not taking as good a care of ourselves, but we have health insurance. So you would think, you would think that would have made a difference. But apparently there's not a connection between health insurance and lifespans. But we were told it was. It was the end all. Our health care system, I, and I said this last week at the, at the end of the week when we started this journey together, that we, it's not really, we, we have a sick, we, don't, we should have a sick care system where we're, we're, we're not treating healthy people. We're not treating them very well at all. We're not telling them what they can do to lengthen their lives. We're not uh, assessing their dietary needs. And the dietary research that's out there is faulty and riddled with problems. Every, every other day seems to bring about a new dietary study that says the previous ones were wrong. We castigated people like Dr. Atkins and, and that low-carbohydrate stuff probably would have prevented millions of diabetic diagnoses and, and, and th hundreds of thousands of deaths. And we just told people, hey, these carbs are bad for you. But no, we can't do that. Or we haven't done that. But it is, it is a fascinating time indeed. We do have the ability to live longer. We do have the ability to take better care of ourselves. Again, a lot of it's personal responsibility and assuming control. But I think so many, not, not you, the listeners, but a lot of people you know, they do overly rely on the government to do things for them. We've become kind of this odd nation of individual thinkers and innovative folks and at the same time, a, a large swath of the population just gives over the control of their lives to government officials and thinks that's where the solutions are. We've become a nation of odd, odd independence and dependency. From, from, a, from a free thought standpoint, we are, especially conservatives, love free thought, love our fierce independence, love self-reliance. We love to take care of ourselves. We're very situationally aware. We are those kind of folks. But there's a large group of the population that isn't that way. Folks, I hope you have a fantastic day. We will be here bright and early tomorrow noon for the Pete Callender Show. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams. Been an absolute blast, and we will continue this journey tomorrow. Have a great day.